Hello and welcome to Ranking Thrones, a podcast where I meet up with friends or very, very special guests to talk about the kings and queen who sat on the Iron Throne. With me are two wonderful guests of real history about real kings and queens. I have with me the hosts of Rex Factor Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming to my humble little podcast. Not at all. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, And once again, this time on the record, sorry I'm late. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no worries. Uh, It's all good. Ali was being a good father and putting his kids to sleep. Oh, yeah, well, by the end, I didn't feel like a good father. I was like, sleep. So, we've been working on getting this podcast for, for two years off the grounds. It's wonderful to have you guys on. And just talk about, they chose to talk about the, about the king they're most familiar with from the show. Robert Baratheon, the usurper king. And he's who's very inspired by two kings they discussed in in their on their podcast, Henry the Fourth and Edward the Fourth. So just um, I mean George R. R. Martin. I, I said before what um, recording. I mean that he is one has gone on record saying that the Wars of the Roses is one of the biggest influences on the story of Game of Thrones. And he has said that, yes, Robert is very much based on Edward IV. There's also, he hasn't touched as much on how much he's in, influenced by Henry IV. But we'll get into, there's one particular part of Robert's story that is very similar to Henry IV dealing with this annoying rebellion in the middle of his reign. And so I just wanted to ask you guys, um, what are your thoughts on both of these kings of, of these very famous usurper kings that somehow even though they have this great story of usurping an english king and starting a new dynasty they're both somehow kind of forgotten i feel well yeah, i think forgotten by me yeah i was gonna say ali uh as with all things will need reminding on who all of the people involved are both game I'm of really Thrones sorry, and reality <laughs> yeah yeah and well, so, uh, uh, strangely hang on i'm 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 much more au fait with Robert Baratheon. <laughs> so that's fine. He's the fat guy played by Full Monty. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Check. Very true. Um, so, yeah, Henry IV and Edward IV. I guess both of them, because of the Wars of the Roses, is followed by the, the Tudor dynasty and it <laughs> ends with, you know, Richard III. Uh, I think that they just get forgotten. They just sort of almost seem an irrelevance. You know, like you said, they both start a dynasty, but in both cases, that dynasty ends, you know, just within a couple of generations and is, you know, yeah. supplanted by something else. So they don't really have much that they uh, leave behind them. Edward IV doesn't get a Shakespeare play. Henry IV gets two, he's technically. Them, but he's, but, not, he's not the main character. You know, of not the main character. And Henry IV does get them, but he's sort of, he's, it's not really the hero of his own no. story and will get, you know, overshadowed both in life and Shakespeare by Henry V. So, yeah, I think both of them are very impressive individuals who achieve an awful lot, but 
maybe their legacies end up being limited and consequently they don't really get remembered. No. Could, could I have um, um, Graham, one of your textbook uh, like, um, of ones... who they are? Yeah, yeah. So Henry the Fourth overthrows uh, Richard the Second and then spends the rest of his reign struggling to hold on to power. Uh, he's Poke the father the of Henry V, not Poker Up the Bum, that was Edward II. Okay. I think Richard II just gets starved. Basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um he's the fellow with the Peasants' Revolt. Mm-hmm. Richard II was Peasants' Revolt. Okay. Henry yeah. IV overthrows him. Henry IV is very, very impressive as Bolingbroke before he becomes king. And then when he becomes king, it's all quite a lot of hard work and he ends up getting leprosy or some horrific skin complaint. I just have no memory of this guy at all. Edward IV, <laughs> you will remember, because he was the sort of 19 when he uh, kicked Henry VI off the throne, Wars of the Roses, really tall, really attractive. Um, he marries Elizabeth Woodville, who's this Lancastrian widow that he meets on the road. Loads and loads of mistresses and illegitimate children. He's a bit of a party prince. He eats so much that he literally takes a metic so that he can be sick and then eat it all again. Well, not the. Are you thinking about down, Edward the Third? I'm not thinking about Edward the Third. Okay. How? What's the difference between the two? Um, other than there being literally different yeah. <laughs> people. Edward the Third starts the Hundred Years' War against France and lots of great victories. Edward IV kicks Henry VI off the throne, wins okay. some very impressive battles, but always against English rivals rather than the French. Yeah. And right, then he okay. is the father of the princes in the tower and thus the older brother of yes. Richard III. Yes. Okay. Now, yeah, that's, that's his claim to fame for me. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, so that Richard bit III, I said earlier about how about how uh, Edward IV gets overshadowed by the events which follow his his life and reign, as exemplified <laughs> by yes. none of this sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh, that's what happened after he died. Yes, <laughs> yes, I remember that something must have happened before the bit I remember. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, okay. So point uh, proven. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Point proven. Sorry, James. No, no, no. I mean, that's perfect. And that's this is a, a, a mirror dynamic of, of my relationship with with Evan, my co-host, who's, who's just a show of the fan. And I come in as a, a fan of the books. And so uh, we went through all the target, all the Targaryens and then the Baratheon kings. Mm. And so he just was a deer in the headlights other than like yeah. just whatever he remembered from the show of like, oh, yeah, I think I remember that name. I think I remember that name and I just had to like explain and a couple of times yeah. it was a little bit annoying where it was just or not even annoying but just like I, I, I told him like we went through most of the story of this character but and now he's suddenly king do you remember him? He's like no he's like yeah. okay right, right he, he's, very he's, sympathetic he's, 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 he's appeared in like seven episodes we've talked about him he's like remember him <laughs> so there's gonna be a lot of names in this yeah and so I think you've covered a lot of um, uh, the other thing I'd like to ask Graham then um, is just from your own perspective um, was Edward the fourth a good king 
and was he right to seek the throne from Henry VI? What do you think about that? I think he um, doesn't have an awful lot of choice. So the situation for him was that his father, who is uh, Richard, Duke of York, had sort of claimed the throne because Henry VI was the Lancastrian king, uh, but has serious mental health problems that he'd inherited from his um, French king grandfather. Um, Henry sort of has these bouts where he basically has a complete mental breakdown and just totally unaware of the world around him. So his wife is Queen Margaret of Anjou and his um, sort of Lancastrian cousins, the Beauforts, are kind of ruling in his stead. It's not going terribly well. Richard, Duke of York, is descended from two of the sons of uh, Edward III that Ali was asking about. <laughs> Um, and one of which is actually an older son than the one that Henry VI is descended from. So he thinks, well, I'm a good soldier. I'm a much better ruler. I'm not insane. Mm-hmm. I should just be king now. It's stupid that I'm having to mess around with all of these people that don't like me. So they end up at war with each other. And then uh, Richard, Duke of York, is uh, killed in an ambush. And so Edward uh, suddenly becomes the leader of the Yorkist camp. He's only 19 uh, years old and because his father had been claiming the throne he's got a claim and it's one of those situations where really the best way forward for him is actually just to claim the throne at this point mm-hmm. so he sort of charges off to London claims the throne is seen as being you know very popular because you know he's tall he's athletic he's handsome he's a great soldier he's everything that you think a king should be whereas Henry VI is complete opposite of that although i think he might have been fairly tall but he's not you know he's not interested in military affairs at all he's not very regal he's just not very kingy so i think edward thought that was the best way to survive really it's a sort of kill or be killed situation mm-hmm. uh in terms of whether he's a good ruler it's he's, he's a bit of a funny one because in some ways he sounds great after the chaos that had been before and then a bit of chaos that comes after him he's you know he's very cultured um, lots of money spent on palaces and tapestries. It's when we have the, sort of the printing press comes to England for the first time. We've got peace, although he sort of messes it up a little bit by marrying the wrong, wrong woman. And then we have a little bit more civil war in the middle. But then he comes back, sorts it all out. So that's all quite good, really. Uh, less good is that he's incredibly lazy. For a man who is such a good soldier and so full of vim, as a 19-year-old, once he's killed all his rivals, he just thinks, well, I'm just going to party now. So he just does an awful lot of drinking, uh, an awful lot of eating. As one historian says, it's basically it's heavy eating, heavy drinking, and heavy whoring for the rest of his reign. So lots of mistresses, lots of food and banquets, and uh, he just gets very fat and uh, dies only 43, or not even quite 43 years old, when he sort of catches a cold and he goes out fishing. Um, But probably his health was um, going downhill anyway. So it's quite a decent time, really, other than the warry bits, sort of at the beginning. That's great. But otherwise it's quite fun. You think, well, that's what you do if you're king, just have a party. Did he get the Rex Factor? He did get the Rex Factor. He got a very good score because he was great in battle, very good scandal, pretty good subjectivity, which I suppose is the good ruling. But the downside for him, as well as the laziness, is that he doesn't manage to solve some of the internal disputes in the country. So his wife's family, the Woodvilles, <laughs> of whom there are many, 
are very prominent at court and a lot of the other leading nobles, not least his brother, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, are at odds with them. And those disputes are unresolved when he dies. And that's part of the reason that ultimately his son, Edward V, doesn't ever get to rule, doesn't get to be crowned. Richard becomes Richard III and then ultimately the Tudor uh, dynasty takes over despite having a very limited claim. I think Edward V is the only son not to have successfully, you know, well, being crowned um, following his father since 1066. And you've got to say that part of the responsibility for that must lie with Edward IV. Mm. So that's a so wonderful... yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. So be prepared because a lot of what I'm going to say for the story of Robert Baratheon is going to sound very similar to what you've just yeah. said. <laughs> so, I, I mean... It's go, it's been on record that, uh, that 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 George R. R. Martin loves the Wars of the Roses and cites that as a big influence. And he has said in Game of Thrones bonus features that yes, Robert is is very much based on Edward the Fourth. The young Edward the Fourth is more b- the inspiration behind Rob Stark, mm-hmm. just like this young, inspiring warrior king that married the wrong woman, as Graham touched on. Oh um, yeah. And, Luckily for for Edward, that didn't go the way it goes for Rob. Oh my word! Yeah. And um, there's also um several care, but the thing is with with uh, Martin is lots of characters are inspired by lots of people, and he sometimes diversifies in that. Essentially, he's never officially said this, but four characters are inspired by Richard the Third. You have Ned Stark. This noble northern lord that didn't really like the court and helped robert to the throne that then ended up being declared lord protector on robert's deathbed and also found out that robert's children were illegitimate just like richard the third maybe (laughs) then you've got stannis this this um very valiant warrior prince that's related that's the brother of of robert that doesn't feel very appreciated he's very moralistic kind of a bit of a stick in the mud but the people that love him are utterly loyal and devoted to him and that's a little bit of stannis there too none of the bernie bits though and richard the third thankfully uh <laughs> Third is Theon Greyjoy of just this of the reputation of this this person who betrays his the person he was sworn to ends up mm-hmm. being horrifically mangled, calls himself Reek at one point. So that's in essence Martin exploring the idea of Richard as a traitor. And then finally you have Tyrion Lannister of just the reputation of Richard as being deformed mm. and everyone suspects him of being evil because he's deformed and but actually he was very clever and very astute and so lots of characters that are inspired by Richard III that's amazing yes I want to watch it again knowing <laughs> that I mean I did know that before and I, I just want to watch it again it's a lot of fun and I have so much fun going through and now that I know 
your podcast was such a wonderful resource of after reading and watching Game of Thrones of like, okay, what's this all based on? Let, let me find out the real stories and like the real things. And Martin has been quoted of saying that that nothing he can come up with uh, in Game of Thrones can top real history in terms of how bloody, crazy, cutthroat, and plotty it is. Although he also mm-hmm. says he doesn't like the revisionists because they take all the fun out of the history. Yeah. <laughs> which I can agree to a certain degree. And although he also is a Ricardian. He is a Ricardian. He, I don't remember where, but I have seen a video of him calling calling some of the history Tudor bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, and what I just said, like four characters based on Richard III and and a couple of them are nice guys and even the ones that aren't, still you, you understand why they are the way they are and what they do. Mm-hmm. So, let's um, want to get into the story of Robert Baratheon? Yeah. Okay. This is a bit that Ali feels more comfortable and uh, knowledgeable about. <laughs> okay. So, first on, okay, what am I using for my sources? Also, I know usually just using uh, the book The World of Ice and Fire, and uh, also just the main books of the series. They have plenty of details. And this is going to be different from the show because we're going to talk about some things that are not in the show, some fun little juicy details. <laughs> so, okay, to begin, we ha- we have to... For you guys, I'm going to go a little bit further back and talk about that House Baratheon was founded by Oris Baratheon, a man who was the bastard brother of Aegon the Conqueror, who conquered Westeros and united Westeros from seven warring kingdoms to six united kingdoms. He called it seven kingdoms, but he didn't conquer that pesky Dorne, which is basically the desert version of Scotland. <laughs> Just like that, all these kings kept on going to war with Dorne, and it never really panned out mm. for a long time, until eventually they did join. Um, Oris Baratheon was the bastard brother of Aegon the Conqueror, and and officially, the, I won't, I don't, I don't want to get too bugged into that, but but Aegon the Conqueror, he was just the lord of of the. Dragonstone, this little island that's just off of of Westeros, and King Dur- Argilac the Arrogant, the king of the Stormlands, was worried about King Heron the Black invading his lands, and so he asked Aegon the Conqueror for mi- military support, and he offered his daughter's hand in marriage to solidify the alliance. Aegon turned him down, saying, "I already have I'm married to my two sisters, but here, here's my here's my good friend Oris Baratheon." My my bastard brother, he could marry your your daughter, and we can forge the alliance that way. Argilac was insulted by that, killed the messenger, gave back, brought back the the messenger's hands, and said, "These are the only hands your bastard will have of my daughter." And so then Aegon went to war with and said he was going to conquer the seven kingdoms for that insult. And Oris was the was at Aegon's side as the commander of his land forces and was dubbed the first Hand of the King. And eventually, Oris killed King Argilac the Arrogant in battle and then took over House Duran and would marry Argilac's daughter, willingly. She was okay with it. Mm-hmm. 
And so he basically supplanted House Duran and became the leader of House Baratheon. And House Baratheon had long historic ties to, to House Targaryen, in addition to their blood ties. And it, it becomes a bit more important to the story of Robert Baratheon late in and spoil a potential show for Game of Thrones that they have announced as, as one of the spin-offs of the Tales of Duncan Egg. In the reign of Aegon the Unlikely, who was also known as Aegon V, the king was known as a reformer who tried to improve the life of the peasants to the fury of his lords. They didn't like that. No, mm-hmm. don't remove our lordly powers. To try and solidify his power base, Aegon hoped to both end the Targaryens' incestuous marriage tradition and gain stronger alliances with the great lords marrying his children to various lords. Unfortunately, most of his children wanted to marry someone they loved because Aegon had married someone he loved. Pesky. So the first to defy their father was Prince Duncan the Small, who married the peasant Jenny of Oldstones, even for the reforming Aegon, he could not let his his heir marry a peasant. They, the lords and Aegon begged Prince Duncan to relent and choose a high-born lady as his wife, but Duncan refused. So Duncan abdicated his position as heir to the throne. If you're getting Edward VIII vibes, I think that's intentional. Yeah. Prince Duncan's marriage undid his betrothal to Lord Lionel Baratheon's daughter. This infuriated Lord Lionel to the point that Lord Lionel declared himself king of the Stormlands and separated his his lands from Westeros and began a small rebellion. The rebellion, thankfully, though, ended quickly when Sir Duncan the Tall, the knight that Aegon the Unlikely had served as his squire to, challenged King Lionel to a trial by combat for whether or not they could, he could be an independent kingdom. Although Lord Lionel was a renowned warrior known as the Laughing Storm, Sir Duncan triumphed and the Stormlands rejoined the realm. But... To appease Lord Lionel, Aegon promised the hand of his daughter Rayla to Lionel's son and heir. Unfortunately for Aegon, Rayla's grandson would end the Targaryen dynasty. So, little hint on who, who that boy is. Robert was the oldest son of Stefan Baratheon and Kassana Estermont. He was born during the first year of his father's dear friend, Ares II. Stefan had been a close friend to Tywin Lannister and Prince Ares Targaryen, with the three forging bonds of friendship in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, the war that ended the century of Blackfire rebellions. That's a whole other story I don't want to <laughs> get into, just, um, uh, just Jacobite rebellions. It's that version of that. Right. It was just the, the rival claimants to the throne for the Targaryens that this pesky Henry VIII-like king created because he wasn't a good king and he had a lot of bastards. Ares chose Tywin Lannister as his hand, but as Tywin grew to be regarded by many as the true ruler of Westeros, 
Ares grew jealous and paranoid. Ares asked his friend Stefan to travel to the east to find a Lysini bride for Prince Rhaegar. It was rumored that when Stefan returned, he would be offered the title of Hand of the King. So, rebellion stewing. However, Lord Stefan and Lady Kasana died on a storm returning from the east. The only survivor of the shipwreck was a tattooed fool named Patchface, who seemingly went mad, although he may be a mad prophet. He says all these crazy things that seem to be actually true, but no one can understand or listen to him or understand what he's saying. Oh my god, he's got to be played by... Um... Who do, who's the fella that does um, the little people in that Lord of the Rings thing? You know, he, he oh. goes, Arr, Gollum and all that. Ah, oh, Andy Circus. Circus. <laughs> yeah, that's him, isn't it? But is, is, so you're saying, is, is this come, becoming a film, a spin-off, all this bit? Oh, um, that There are talks, there's always talks of, of getting Robert's Rebellion a, a show. Mm. They've always asked him to do that, and... I think there are some talks, but we'll see. Mm. I mean, the thing is that the show and the books tell us somewhat enough to where we don't need to have Robert's Rebellion as a show. Although uh, your enthusiasm, I think, shows that maybe we, you still should do it. I've left it up, honestly. I'm, I'm a willing consumer for all this stuff. <laughs> so Robert and Stannis saw the storm that killed their parents. Robert preferred not to talk about it, while Stannis became an atheist after witnessing his parents' death. He was just convinced there could be no gods if they would kill his parents. Although he still allies himself with the red la- woman. Oh, uh, yeah. And Lady Relor. Because she's magical, so... Okay. Weird. Robert... Stannis is a wonderful contradiction. He's a wonderful, fascinating contradiction of a man. Mm. I think he just fancied her because she's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Robert and his younger younger brothers, Stannis and Renly, were raised mostly by their maester, who was named Cresson. He was a surrogate father to the boys and loved them all. Cresson held a special affection for the forgotten middle child, Stannis. Like most young sons of lords, Robert was sent to another lord to be raised as his ward. Robert was sent to the Vale to serve under Lord John Arryn. Lord Arryn also was fostering young Eddard Stark, who was the second son of the Lord of Winterfell. Even though they were fairly different people, Robert and Ned got on amazingly well, with the two becoming the closest of friends. Robert would later call Ned the brother he chose. Which annoyed Stannis. <laughs> okay, so this is that's them. That's the background to them being all matey at the series one, episode one. Here we are, we're chums. Yes, yes. They 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 were raised together, and they by this lord, and he who didn't have sons, so he basically treated them like they they were his sons. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a little bit where, he, where I'll mention who he's a little bit inspired by. Robert grew into a, an impressive warrior, though he did not enjoy jousting, instead taking a love to melees. 
His prowess as a warrior earned him the nickname the Second Laughing Storm after Lord Lionel. Unlike his future rival, Rhaegar, Robert fancied more ribald songs. He was a boisterous and friendly sort. Robert, like Rhaegar, was much more of this warrior scholar and bit sensitive, a warrior poet more. Robert, to his utter delight, became engaged to Lyanna Stark, Ned's sister. Robert proclaimed that he adored the girl and that he, she was the love of his life. Lyanna, however, was not thrilled as already by the time of the engagement, Robert had fathered a bastard. The bastard was a girl from the Vale named Maya Stone. Ned insisted that Robert would change when he married. Lyanna said that love was sweet, but doubted that Robert would change. Robert and the Starks would meet at the Tournament of Harrenhal. There in the tournament, they saw Robert Targaryen play the harp, and his song brought Lyanna Stark to tears, which, which um, Sealed the one deal. of the brothers made fun of her for, for crying at, at, at him playing a song. Hmm. They also... Ned Stark, the shy Ned Stark, got forced into dancing with the hot Lady Ashra Dane, at, at there, which also brought a lot of whispers around. They also saw the Mad King, which surprised, and oh, I forgot to mention, Ares by this point had, had devolved and was known universally as the Mad King and kept himself locked up in the Red Keep and had not been seen outside of the Red Keep in years. And when they saw him, they didn't see this regal man, they saw this creepy, old, shriveled man with a long beard and long fingernails. That was their king. So a little bit of Howard Hughes in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why, quick question. Mm-hmm. Why can't he come up with anything original? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love, I love this that it's got all these little nods to the past, and that's great and everything. And it's, it's, I keep going, oh yeah, bloody, oh yeah, but <laughs> what? Well, he, it's with the spice of fantasy, and with, and it's, it's me having read the books and rereading and knowing all the history. It's like, oh, mm. I think that's a little bit inspired by this, a little bit inspired by this. But it's so, it's so, like, it's a holding a mirror up to history, some of this. Yes. Mm. Well, it works. Got yeah, me interested nothing, in history. Nothing mm. new under the sun. Mm. No. I mean, to be fair, Shakespeare does it as well. Shakespeare never writes <laughs> any original uh, stories. He's always using either history or a story that somebody else has told mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, we spend maybe 75% of the time on Rex Factor saying this should be a film. <laughs> fair enough um and so um well we don't cover too much Ares because we didn't you we didn't choose Ares as the king to talk about but Ares is very much a mixture of of Richard II in terms of being by the end vain paranoid and petty but also very much Henry VI in that he was also so reliant on his on his lords to actually rule for him of that in Tywin, you can see a little bit of not just Edward the first Ali's favorite King, but also a little bit of 
of the Duke of Suffolk and um, Richard, um, the Earl of Warwick, of just that these these powerful lords that were the real rulers for the feeble Henry the Sixth, who also was probably mad. How is the um, Ares's madness manifest? Is it like Henry and he's just sort of this quiet and having a breakdown, or is it uh, the French king thinking he's made of glass and just running around being crazy? Okay, so to get into that wonderful little little sidebar of that, what happened to Ares was that he he always had that little the, like Richard of just these signs of just being a bit angry and 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 wrathful and more and more just jealous and jealous of Tywin as as time went on and it got more and more to this point well Ares would have these this habit of making these grandiose goals of we will we will conquer beyond the wall and build a new wall on our new territory or we will conquer Assos but then he would quickly forget about these proclamations and then just Tywin would just go back to business but slowly, Ares liked to do the opposite of whatever Tywin suggested him to do. And the lords caught on to this. And this, this one lord in, in, um, that was Lord of Duskendale, I'm forgetting the name. There's so many names. Even I can't keep them straight. Uh, who was in a feud because Tywin wanted him to pay some taxes. And he wanted tax relief from this and invited the king to come over to help settle this matter. And Tywin said, do not do this, do not do this. And the fact that Tywin told him not to do this meant that Ares did go there. And then he was held hostage by the Lord of Duskendale. I'm forgetting, I'm remembering the name, Lord Peak. Lord Peak held King Ares, the king, hostage for six months in a dungeon. And Tywin made no real hint of he gathered his forces and was about to lay siege. And and Lord Peak said, I will kill the king if you do that. And Tywin just responded with, "We that's fine, we have a better king, and pointed to Prince Rhaegar. Before the, the siege was going to happen, um, Barristan the Bold offered, remember him from the show? No. The old knight? William Marshall. Yes. Which one, who's he? Who's he? Whitehead, head of the King's Guard. King's Guard. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Barristan the Bold offered to, to try to free the king himself. Tywin, thinking he couldn't do it, said, sure. Barristan the Bold single handedly climbed up the castle and was able to single-handedly free his king, Ares. Once Ares was free, though, he ordered everyone in the castle to be massacred, and the only person he spared was this little kid that Barristan the Bold begged to be spared. And that little kid would go on to poison Joffrey. But that's a whole other story. Who who, who was it? Um, This... Um, this knight, this this future knight, uh, Sir, oh, he's the he's the fat guy who saves Sansa and takes her out of King's Landing when Joffrey gets poisoned. Oh, yeah, 
Oh yeah. That little kid. Mm. That 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 little kid is the mm. only one. And after that, Ares just suspected that that Tywin wanted Ares dead and wanted to replace him with with Rhaegar. And so he just became just cooked himself up in the in in the Red Keep and was very hostile to Tywin and loved to laugh. And he joyfully mocked when Tywin's wife died and when she gave birth to this hideous dwarf. And said, good, something to finally hum- teach Tywin some humility. Mm. So it was always there, but it just just that being cooped up in the in the in Duskendale for six months just made it all worse and made him into truly drove Ares mm. mad. Mad yeah. mad. He was the Mad King. And there's more and that I won't get into of just if you remember from the show The Wildfire, of by the end he's just so mad that he puts caches of wildfire to just destroy the city. And but we're going to get into another story of just showing how mad this king was a bit like Richard II of just why maybe it's for the best. We just put this king away mm-hmm. from power. So. It was rumored that that the great tourney at Heron Hall was secretly a an, a covert great council that was going to be held by Rhaegar to determine whether or not to make Rhaegar regent or to force Ares to abdicate the throne. And that's supposedly why Ares went out of the Red Keep for the first time in years, to make sure that didn't happen. So, at the Tournament of Harrenhal, Rhaegar Targaryen won the jousts and declared Lyanna Stark the Queen of Love rather than his wife, Elia Martell, who was there and at the tournament and pregnant with Rhaegar's second child. Oh, awkward. In a magnificent piece of art, I recommend, just try to find this piece of art. There is, they have it in the World of Ice and Fire of, of Rhaegar get, offering the crown of, of flowers to Lyanna and just everyone's stunned faces. And Robert is shown having to hold back an angry Brandon Stark, who just was stunned. And there's also Ned Stark, who's sitting next to Lyanna, just jaw open, stunned by what's happening. Just what an insult. And you can also Mm. see poor Elia right there, also just sad, but just bearing it out. Mm. What is he doing? What was Rhaegar thinking? We don't know. Officially, Robert laughed it off, saying Rhaegar's actions were completely appropriate. But according to all the sources, Robert's heart hardened from this. Robert and Ned returned to the Eyrie, and it was there they heard that Robert's betrothed Lyanna was abducted by Rhaegar. Robert always would believe that this was kidnapping and that Rhaegar raped Lyanna. In the books, we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. Yet. 
Brandon Stark went to King's Landing to demand justice for Lyanna. Brandon was arrested. His father, Rickard, was summoned to answer the Mad King's charges of conspiracy to murder the prince. Lord Rickard demanded a trial by combat. The Mad King agreed, but chose fire as his champion and burned Lord Rickard alive. Brandon Stark was strapped in a device and put near a sword and was forced to watch his father burn. As he tried to reach the sword and save his father, he strangled himself on the king's torture device. Oh, my life. I think it's probably best this fellow doesn't have any uh, original characters, because when he does go out on his own, he goes to a very dark place. (laughs) So, and... Getting to where we're getting into a bit more of the Wars of the Roses, of the execution of a little bit, you can see a little bit of the execution of Lord Richard, Duke of York, and also um, the Earl of Rutland, and and that, although not that brutal, not that brutal. The Mad King demanded that John Aaron surrender Robert and Ned. Aaron instead swore an oath to fight the Mad King. So in John Aaron, there's a little bit of Richard, Earl of Warwick, one of many characters that's inspired by the Earl of Warwick. Well, this one, John Aaron's the nice version of Warwick because he never betrays Robert or Ned. (laughs) Robert was able to safely travel to Storm's End, even though he narrowly passed Casterly Rock. Lord Tywin Lannister seems to have let Robert go unnoticed. Oh yeah, by this point, Tywin had quit being Hand of the King. He quit oh. when when Sir Jamie Lannister was made a Knight of the King's Guard, which meant that he was no longer Tywin's heir. Tywin thanked Ares for the honor he bestowed on him and then left. Quit being Hand of the King. And it was one of the only... One of the last men who was Hand of the King who didn't die or was exiled or was penniless from the result of being Hand of the King. So, Robert was able... Okay, so, Robert rallied House Baratheon's forces and left command of Storm's End to his younger brother Stannis. Purportedly, it was a heavy and serious decision for Stannis to choose to defy his king and side with his brother in the rebellion. Robert never considered this and simply brushed it off. Stannis would soon become besieged under the nominal command of Lord Tarly, but truly under the command of Lord Randall, Lord Tyrell, but truly under the command of Lord Randall Tarly, Sam's dad. The siege would become bloody and long, with the food supply so depleted that the Baratheon forces would eventually resort to eating rats. When starvation seemed imminent, the smuggler Davos Seaworth managed to avoid capture from Highgarden's fleet and smuggled in onions and other precious foods for Stannis' mm-hmm. men. Stannis would reward Davos by making him a knight, but first he cut off Davos' fingers as he was a smuggler and had broken the law. That seems an Edward I level of... Uh... So he thanked him, though. Psychopathy. He was like, good thing to do, but no more fingers for you. You did a good thing, but you broke the law in doing that good thing. And I can't ignore the fact that you broke the law. 
That's his thinking. Wow. So this is that that's that smuggler fellow that always helps him out. Uh, yes. The fellow that looks like um, the French actor that isn't. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Confusing. So. Robert's command on the Stormlands was not universal, and this led to him fighting three victorious battles in a single day against the forces in Summerhall. After the battle, Robert demonstrated his true gift of being able to turn friends out of enemies, as he soon had men who had led armies to kill him, joining him on a hunt. Robert had such a charisma and charm that he could turn an ally out of an enemy with only a cup of wine. Mm. Robert was once described by his former blacksmith of being true steel, whereas Stannis was pure iron, hard and black, but brittle and more likely to bend, to break than bend. As for Renly, he was copper, bright and shiny, but worthless in the end. Stannis was a rigid and hard man whose greatest strengths and weaknesses complemented one another. Renly was nothing but empty charm, whereas Robert could charm many, but also be a true commander. Hmm. Although later on his blacksmiths does explain that Robert does go to rust. <laughs> Robert was defeated for the first and only time by Lord Tarly, Sam's dad, at Ashford, the same field where Aegon the Conqueror had crushed the southern forces in the Field of Fire. The battle was fairly small and it was more of a tactical retreat, as later noted by Tyrion Lannister. Following this battle, Robert hid in the Stony Steppe. John Kyington handed the king, desperately searched for Robert in the Stony Sept, but the villagers surprised Kyington by siding with the rebel Robert and hit him well. As the search went, in came Ned Stark with his army from the north, who routed and crushed Kyington's forces. It was with this battle that Robert's rebellion was officially recognized as not a simple rebellion, but the greatest threat to the Iron Throne since Daemon Blackfire. Leader of the Blackfire Rebellions that I mentioned earlier. Mm. During the celebrations, Robert impregnated a prostitute at a whorehouse called the Peach. That got your attention. Decades later, his Is that daughter. The whorehouse Bell's... or the prostitute called the Peach. <laughs> whorehouse is called the Peach. Decades later, his daughter, Bella Stone, unwittingly attempted to seduce her brother, Gendry Waters. Thankfully, Gendry did not sleep with her. Do we have that in the in the show? Nope. Okay. That's only in the books. Mm. That would have been been funny. Mm. See. To arrange an alliance with the Riverlands, Ned Stark married Catelyn Tuller, Tully, who had previously been engaged to her brother Brandon Stark. John Arryn married Lysa Tully. Lysa did not want to marry John Arryn and had tried to convince her father to let her marry Peter Baelish, a.k.a. Littlefinger, by revealing that she was pregnant with Littlefinger's child. Mm-hmm. Lord Tully forced Lysa to have an abortion and marry John Arryn. That's also not in the show. Mm. But it explains that later bit, when he, uh, Littlefinger goes along and... Uh, is that... So, so is... The, that's the bit with the uh, sky window and all that yeah. that people dropped out. Yeah. Okay. Theory, yes. Mm. Ned Stark would leave Catelyn, Lady Catelyn pregnant with a boy who was born during the rebellion, who would, they would name Rob. 
However, to her, her eternal fury, her husband returned with a bastard boy named Jon Snow. Catelyn, in her thoughts, stated that she forgave Ned for seeking comfort in war. She was outraged, though, that Ned insisted on having his bastard be raised with his legitimate children. There was no universal agreement on who was Jon Snow's mother, with a wet nurse named Wyla officially mentioned, though another was Lady Ashra Dane, who Ned Stark had danced with at the tourney at Harrenhal. And Lady Ashra later committed suicide when Ned came to Ashra to inform her that he had slain her brother, Sir Arthur Dane, the Sword of Mourning, who was a member of the Kingsguard. The one time Catelyn feared her husband was when she brought up the rumor of Ashra Dane. He coldly told her to never ask him again about his this, as John was his blood. Mm. Although keyword there that fans note, <laughs> he says his blood. He doesn't say his son. I don't get that. If you've forgotten one of the uh, key <laughs> plot points and twists in the yeah. TV series, what is that? Who is who is John's real parents? Wasn't Ned? He's, he's a he's a dragon person. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But so not Ned's. How is he Ned's blood then? He's his nephew. Because Rhaegar, the uh, Targaryen prince, who went off with Ned's sister. Yeah. They had a child. Mm. Jon Snow. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'll just rewatch I'm, the show. I'm processing that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. During the marriage of the Tully ladies, Robert Baratheon officially announced his intent to take the throne. Officially, he had the strongest claim to the throne, as he was the great grandson of Aegon the Unlikely. But Renly later said that Robert's legitimacy was a simple technicality, as he was clearly the commander of a conquest. So, like Edward the great-grandson of Edward III. Robert and his forces met an equally great force commanded by Prince Rhaegar Targaryen at the Trident. Robert and Rhaegar would personally face off in the heat of battle. Although Rhaegar would wound Robert, Robert smashed Rhaegar so hard on the chest that the rubies in his armor scattered into the river. With the death of Rhaegar, the army fell apart and Robert was victorious. Many would later say the royalists' cause died with Rhaegar Targaryen. Robert singled out his enemy, Barristan the Bold, who to- also took a wound in the battle and commanded that Barristan be given medical treatment before Robert. Barristan was impressed by this and soon swore his sword to Robert. Though Barristan was not in King's Landing during the city's sack and regretted not being able to protect Rhaegar and Elia Martell's innocent children. As Ned Stark marched Robert's forces to siege King's Landing, the Lannisters, who had remained neutral for the entire war, suddenly arrived at the city before Lord Stark. I didn't include this in my notes, but I'll make a note now. Ares was overjoyed that his good friend Tywin had come to save him. But Lord Varys and his son, Sir Jamie Lannister, urged the king that, no, I don't think they're here to help you. That's not Tywin. 
But Grand Maester Pycelle said, you can always trust the Lannisters. And they opened the gates. Grand Maester Pycelle said that without Rhaegar, the Targaryens were doomed. And so he just chose to side with the winning side. Mm. Although I also said that he expected Tywin to take the crown. So, Tywin Lannister sacked King's Landing in such a brutal way and ordered the execution of Rhaegar's children. Elia Martell was raped and murdered by Sir Gregor Clegane. Rhaenys was stabbed 50 times by Sir Armory Lorch. And the little prince Aegon's head was smashed by Sir Gregor. But, and this is something really different from the show in books, decades later, during the reign of Tom, King Tommen, a boy invaded Westeros with the Golden Company and proclaimed himself to be Prince Aegon, with the corpse that was presented being that of a double. A little bit of Perkin Warbeck. Yeah. The prince didn't die. I'm the prince. Easy, isn't it? <laughs> Ned Stark arrived into King's Landing to find the city sacked with Sir Jamie Lannister, a man sworn to protect the king, sitting atop the Iron Throne, and the Mad King lying on the ground with his neck slit. Sir Jamie offered the throne to, for Ned Stark, saying it was not comfortable for him. With his smug smile. <laughs> Over a century earlier, Cregan Stark had arrived at King's Landing. All that stood from him and the Iron Throne were a few lords and a ten-year-old boy. Now another Stark had an opportunity to seize the Iron Throne. But Ned didn't go that way. Ned Stark was infuriated by Sir Jamie Lannister's actions and was further incensed that Tywin Lannister and, more astonishingly, Sir Jamie were not punished by Robert. Robert was said to have looked on the bloody corpses of Rhaegar's children and showed no delight, but no disgust either, and simply turned away. Tywin later said he, Robert fancied himself as a hero, and Tywin did what had to be done, because heroes don't kill children. Very Tywin Lannister. Robert would pardon Sir Jamie, but he would forever dub Sir Jamie the Kingslayer, something that Sir Jamie would always resent to the point he routinely contemplated killing Robert and thought he was nowhere near as worthy as Rhaegar would have been as king. Robert and Ned were only able to reconcile when Ned returned from the Tower of Joy with, a, with the body of his sister, Lyanna. On her deathbed, Ned made a promise to Lyanna content of which has not been revealed in the books. The show has its answer, and it's probably the right answer, but it's not in the books yet, so. What, 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 what does he say? <laughs> <laughs> this is the bit that you were trying to understand earlier. We don't know, officially. He promises to protect Jon Snow. Oh, yeah. Got you. <laughs> Robert won the war, but he was not greatly happy with his victory, as he truly wanted to be with Lyanna. He more than once said that Rhaegar truly won the war, as he got to be with Lyanna, while Robert was not. Robert named John Arryn as Hand of the King. He was one of the few men who Robert would genuinely listen to. 
Robert was arranged to marry the beautiful Cersei Lannister, the daughter of Lord Tywin Lannister. On their wedding night, Robert came in drunk, and as he roughly made love to her, he whispered in her ears, Lyanna. Great start to our marriage. Yeah. So, a little similar to Edward the Fourth so far? Gene Van? <laughs> yeah, as I said, we've got this uh, great... Uh, this great warrior who overthrows the Mad King. Mm-hmm. Um, the it's a sort of similarity, although it's a, a different circumstance. Edward the Fourth doesn't have uh, a lost love that's uh, taken from him, mm-hmm. but Elizabeth Woodville that Edward marries is uh, a Lancastrian, mm-hmm. uh, so sort of the opposite side. So there's that sort of slight similarity there with Cersei that it's somebody that's from a different house. Perhaps mm-hmm. a slightly rival one that you see that marriage sort of potentially bringing together two different sides. Mm-hmm. Cersei would give birth to three children, two boys, Joffrey and Tommen, and a girl, Marcella. All of the children had blonde hair and green eyes, contrasting Robert's black hair and blue eyes. On the surface, nothing was sus- about this was suspicious. As Catelyn Tully noted, all of her children, save her daughter Arya Stark, took her auburn hair and eyes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they don't look like him. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Robert loved playing with his bastard children and adored them greatly, but their existence enraged Cersei, and he wisely avoided bringing them to court for this reason. Strangely, Joffrey hated being held by Robert. When all of his other children, all of his bastard children, adored it, with even his bastard daughter Maya Stone having fond memories of a man tossing her up in the air. (laughs) Robert's mistresses and paramours were mostly prostitutes. This earned him the nickname the Whoremonger King. But Robert had no permanent mistresses, and all his dalliances were with lowborn girls that he showed no great favor towards. While he did care for his bastards and even may have ensured that that some were taken care of, he did not recognize any of them. The only bastard he recognized was Edric Storm, a boy who was conceived during Stannis Baratheon's wedding, where Robert slept with a noble woman who was a virgin, so he couldn't deny paternity. Mm. Robert also, in Stannis' eyes, slighted him by doing because Robert did the deed in Stannis' bridal bed. <laughs> Robert insisted that no slight was intended. It's comfy. <laughs> Stannis Baratheon lived envying the fortune of others and perceiving numerous slights. He believed he, that he should have been given Storm's End as he was next in line, but Robert made his youngest brother, Renly, the Lord of Storm's End. Instead, Stannis was made the Lord of Dragonstone, Stannis hated Dragonstone and was insulted that he had been passed over for the ancestral lands of the the Baratheons. Maester Cresson insisted that no slight was intended as the heir to the Iron Throne had always been the Lord of Dragonstone for centuries. But Stannis perceived it as Robert's backhanded punishment for failing to defeat the Tyrells during the Siege of Storm's End and for supposedly allowing Prince Viserys and the newborn Princess Daenerys those names are familiar, Mm. escape under his watch. His jealousy would continue as he later would grumble aloud to Lady Catelyn that he should have been named Robert's Hand after John Arryn's death. 
In contrast, Renly was perfectly contented to be in Robert's shadow and was little more than a sniping sycophant in Robert's court. Renly is not as nice as he is in the show, in the books. Right. Robert would have would have one last great battle and war where he was able to momentarily become the man he preferred to be. In the Iron Islands, Balon Greyjoy declared himself king. He justified this by claiming that the Iron Islands had pledged fealty to the Targaryens, and not the Baratheons. But Balon began his rebellion years after Robert's rebellion. So, wait a while if that's his argument. Stannis led the king's fleet, which decimated the rebels. On land, Robert bravely fought bravely and valiantly. Ned Stark would slay Balon's two elder sons. Also, Sir Jorah Mormont and Thoros of Myr distinguished themselves in the battle. Balon, for all his preaching of paying the iron price and a return to the old way, bent the knee to Robert. Although a traitor, Robert showed his magnanimity and mercy by sparing Balon and letting him remain the Lord of the Iron Islands. Robert guaranteed Balon's loyalty by sending Balon's remaining son, Theon Greyjoy, as a hostage of Ned Stark. A little bit of the Glendower Rebellion, I feel, in there. Mm. Just this rebellion. Mm. And having to force and fight to secure your power. Although, I think the Glendower Rebellion was a bit more of a real threat compared to this. This was just a joke. I'm just Googling these people as you speak. Ah. (laughs) A lot of names, a lot of names, Mm. I know. (laughs) This was Robert's last time he would shine as a warrior and to show his better qualities as a king. He would be mostly miserable for his time as king. Robert would confide to Ned Stark that the only reason he had not abdicated the throne was for the fear of his son Joffrey succeeding him. <laughs> Joffrey showed signs of sadism even in his youth that repulsed Robert. In one particular incident, Joffrey cut open a pregnant cat and took out the cats and gave one to his brother Tommen. Robert smacked Joffrey so hard that Joffrey lost a tooth from it. But even oh. so, Joffrey worshipped Robert, and he was the only person he genuinely respected and looked up to. Nice. Under the likely devious maneuvering of Robert's master of coin, Littlefinger, and Robert's lack of frugality, the crown soon became racked with a huge debt to the Iron Bank of Bravos. Stannis began to suspect that something was amiss about Prince Joffrey. But knowing that his suspicions would be dismissed as jealousy by his brother, Stannis went instead to John Arryn. John Arryn began to research many the many bastards of Robert and finally deduced the truth. As this was going on, and to help maneuver his son to safety, Lord Arryn arranged to, for his son Robert to become Stannis's ward. But then John Arryn suddenly died. The disease was truly the tears of lease that and that was given to Lord Aaron by his own wife, Lysa Aaron. Poisoning. Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Lady Lysa had always hated John Aaron and was very possessive of her son, Robert. Not only that, but L- Lysa still loved Littlefinger, who was fostered in Riverrun. 
Littlefinger, having his own ambitions to turn the Starks and Lannister against the Lannisters, convinced Lysa to poison Jon Arryn and framed the Lannisters as responsible to her sister, Catelyn Stark. Stannis fled King's Landing upon the news of Jon Arryn's death. He, too, fell for Littlefinger's ploy and suspected the Lannisters. Robert traveled north to visit Winterfell. Upon arrival, he went to the crypts to pay his respects to Lyanna. In the crypts, he asked Ned to become his new Hand of the King. Ned declined, but Robert still insisted that the alliance of the Stark and Baratheons could be fulfilled as he asked for Ned to agree to the marriage of Joffrey to Ned's daughter, Sansa. After Catelyn received Lysa's letter accusing the Lannisters, Ned accepted being Hand of the King. Now we're getting into the main part of the, the yeah, show, yeah. the main season. I recognize this bit. Before leaving for King's Landing, young Bran Stark w- climbed the abandoned tower to find Jamie Lannister and Cersei Lannister wrestling naked, mm. as Bran puts it in the books. Jamie Lannister pushed Bran off the towers with the words, The things I do for love. Bran survived, but he would be paralyzed and had blocked out any memory of the event. Upon entering King's Landing, Ned soon began to research into the nature of Jon Arryn's death and what Jon Arryn was researching. He would eventually deduce the truth when Sansa Stark offhandedly said that Joffrey was nothing like Robert. As Ned Stark was handed the king, plots were forming. Renly Baratheon hoped that his betrothed, Marjorie Tyrell, resembled Lyanna and planned to bring her to the court to seduce Robert and eventually have Robert abandon Cersei and her bastards. Meanwhile, at a tournament in honor of the new Hand of the King that Ned personally did not want, Robert wanted to fight in the melee. He was convinced to do so when Cersei told him not to. Cersei plotted on having Robert die in the melee, with the assassination presented as being just a tournament mishap. But on the day of the fight, Ned and Barristan the Bold convinced Robert not to fight by gently pointing out that no one would genuinely try to fight Robert as he was the king. Catelyn Stark, meanwhile, tried to come across Tyrion Lannister, who was accused by Littlefinger of of trying to kill Bran Stark. Catelyn took Tyrion hostage to be tried in the Eyrie for his crimes. Tyrion would escape these charges through a trial by combat. Oh, season one was fun. (laughs) When news of Tyrion's capture reached south, the king was preoccupied with other news as he had heard through spies that Daenerys Targaryen was pregnant. Robert, against the pleas of Ned Stark and Barristan the Bold, ordered Daenerys' death. Ned, disgusted with Robert, resigned as Hand of the King. Sir Jaime Lannister, enraged by the capture of his brother, ordered his men to kill Stark's bannermen before he fled the city. Ned Stark's horse was slain, crushing Ned's knee. Ned Stark swore before an enraged Cersei and an exasperated... Oh, oh no, I read that wrong. Ned Stark awoke before an enraged Cersei and an exasperated Robert. Robert slapped Cersei for insulting him, which he immediately regretted. Robert then ordered Ned to remain hand of the king and threatened to make Jaime Lannister his hand if he ever took off the pin again. Robert went out for a hunt. During his absence, Lord Tywin Lannister ordered the Mountain to attack the South in an attempt to draw out Ned Stark. But as Ned Stark was wounded, he ordered some of his bannermen, 
and other knights to be led by Lord Beric Dondarrion, Ned ordered that Tywin had to f- return to face charges of treason and murder or else be considered an enemy of the crown. During this time, Robert was given stronger wine by his treacherous squire, Lancel Lannister. In a drunken state, he ordered his men away as a boar charged at him. Robert managed to stab the boar through the eyes as its tusks ripped out his innards. Robert, ever the strong and tough man, survived the day's journey back to King's Landing. There on his deathbed, King Robert expressed regret and shame. He said the boar was punishment by the gods for his horrible crime of ordering Daenerys' death. He begged Ned to try and save the girl if possible. He proclaimed he had been as awful a king as Ares, but Ned assured Robert that it was not so. With his last act, Robert begged Ned to look after his children and named him protector of the realm. Ned could not find it in his heart to tell Robert the truth and thought of Robert's bastards when he swore that he would protect Robert's children. Uh-uh. Robert died convinced that this one act would be good. Hours later, Robert the Usurper, the man who crushed the Targaryen dynasty, died. And with his death soon came the greatest war since the Dance of the Dragons. That's the story of Robert Baratheon. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to get a charge at one second. I'll be back okay. two ticks. So, I have to ask, like, a, again, I'm just bringing back Edward IV of the story of this, of on his deathbed, trying to ask his good friend and Lord of the North to become protector for his son. Mm. Similar to Edward IV? Yeah, very. And, um, yeah, also, obviously, the, uh, the way that it sort of, a very promising young man that just sort of ends up, you know, not ruling as well as he could have done, but equally as Ned said to Robert and someone could have said to Edward that actually, even though you've probably not done the best that you could have done, but it was Mm -hmm. maybe better than others. And again, definitely better than both of the uh, real and fictional Mad Kings, but yeah, it's obviously the uh, the Richard the uh, Third as Edward's uh, brother, not there, which I guess is the difference uh, compared to mm-hmm. uh, Ned and Robert. But yeah, it's that same thing of uh, someone that they truly trust, um, and that's you know not including wife and all the other people that they've got around them. It's that sort of distant person that's maybe not been part of their life for a long time, but they're the one that they still trust to do well by their sons but similar with the legacies in both cases of course neither lord protector was uh, committed to doing what the dead the dying king thought they were going to do mm-hmm. so obviously richard iii ends up taking the throne from uh, edward's sons whereas the game of thrones like you say he's um he's vowed to protect his sons which he doesn't think is joffrey et al and thus he's not Mm. seeking to ensure that they are able to rule yes so the way uh my little podcast works ranking thrones we go through several categories the king where we judge 
the merits as a king. And then the warrior, where we judge how they did as a warrior. It's very similar to your podcast. I was just mm-hmm. so struck. We have similar ideas. Madness and Misrule, the fun category where we judge all the mistakes, all the miss, all the poor decisions, and how much does that a big no-no. Then the lighter category, portrait, where we just look at some pictures and decide how much do you look like a king. Do you got that kingly image? And the final question, not Rex Factor, of just based on your house sigil, are you a for the Targaryens, it was Dragon or Dud. For for Robert, it's Stag or Bambi. Is he someone that's really <laughs> special that would stand the test of history and be remembered, or is are you ultimately a footnote? We don't judge if, if you're bad or, or good. It's just because a lot of bad kings, we say they still some some of them have a that that quality of where they would never be forgotten. They mm. would never be forgotten, not in a good way, but they wouldn't be forgotten. Mm. So. Mm. And each of um, the first, the main three categories are on a 10-point scale. So get your guys' thoughts. And let's go through it. Let's go through ranking these kings. Let's okay. Robert. So my notes. Uh, let me also pull out my spreadsheet. Just so, okay. I haven't opened this in a while. Okay. All right. So. Oh, one thing to note also, uh, we we love to credit just your time as king because you're 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 doing something right if for every year that you're king. May may not maybe not great things, but you're doing something right. So every year you're king counts as a point in our mm. books. All right, I'm just trying to ah, there we go. No, oh, dang it, where did I put? Okay, I'm just going to put it here. Okay. So, time is king, 15. He was Robert was king for 15 years, so he automatically gets 15 points. So, in the category of the king, as a commander and a king, he would refuse to be extremely punitive on his enemies, just like Aegon the Conqueror, whereas Tennis or Ned, or even Ned, may have had Robert's enemies executed, Robert was able to turn enemies into allies. Robert's reign was mostly peaceful, with the Greyjoy Rebellion quickly crushed by Robert, Ned, and Stannis. Although enjoying prostitutes greatly, he only recognized one of his bastards officially, Edric Storm, whom he recognized because the child's mother was a noblewoman and a maiden. Now, that's important because... Because in Westerosi history, when when the king did recognize a lot of his bastards, that led to a century of rebellions. Mm. So this king was only one bastard was recognized. And he wasn't a threat. Despite errant dismissals of Robert's capability of being king, when Robert died, the old grudges between houses and rivalries exploded in the immediate first days of Joffrey's reign, and war erupted. Robert, like Viserys I, a bit of a preview for House of the Dragon and the Dance of the Dragons, was able to maintain order and unity in the realm that shattered with his death and Ned Stark's. Last note, 
The king was acutely aware that his grasp on power and peace were tenuous, and when Lord John Aaron died, he appointed Sir Jamie Lannister as Warden of the East to the surprise and consternation of Lady Lysa Aaron and Ned Stark. Robert insisted that the title of Warden of the East could not go to the boy Robert Aaron as he needed a man to guard the East from potential invaders. So, all that in mind, what do you think? Well, I've always liked him. So, um... Uh, I don't know. Well, how would we judge this in Rex Factor, G-Man? Would, like, would we... I'm trying to think how how many points we'd tend to give for someone who... Because he doesn't die... He dies by hunt, hunting accident, which we've had in Rex Factor. So it's not like he's overthrown, but similarly, chaos ensues afterwards. Yeah, it's tricky because we sort of we often say how you it's unfair to judge a king on the fact that the people that come after him aren't up to the job mm. and he can't control that. Um, I guess the question is whether he is in any way responsible for the mess that comes along so like with henry the first not doing enough to ensure that the empress matilda will be definitely recognized uh, as the next monarch or as we said edward the fourth not having resolved all those personal issues but then edward wouldn't have been expecting to die when he was only 43 mm-hmm. and his son was only a child so yeah so we we vary depending on to what extent we think they're culpable for the problems that follow them mm-hmm Mm. so i'd say in this one it feels a bit more like he was the glue that was holding it together even if he maybe wasn't very proactively gluing <laughs> the fact like i remember there's a there's a meme which is obviously from the tv series but it's when people say about robert being a bad king and then it shows you like a couple of images of king's landing under robert and it's you know it, it's <laughs> just the pageantry and jousting and all looks you know this sort of perfect Arthurian court and then it's after Robert and it's got you know King's Landing being burnt by dragons and all sorts of stuff and it's like yeah it was better under Robert wasn't it really there's no point after Robert at which you think yeah that's better thank god we don't have Robert in charge anymore Mm. I don't know how much credit he deserves for that but some I'd say what, he knows what, that he's got um, to hold it together. He knows that there's warring factions and he is able, he's got enough authority as a king, I suppose, to ensure that it doesn't erupt whilst he is king. But doesn't do enough to ensure that it doesn't erupt after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, um, to, to sorry. point one great moment in both the show and books is that during the, the tourney, um, the hands tourney when a fight breaks out robert just stands up and shouts stop in the name of your king and immediately the two stop fighting Mm -hmm. so point of Mm. grip in terms of like the authority is that he does have that authority he doesn't seem to but he actually can bring it out and say like no i am the king you will stop this net right now yeah I I think he's got mega points. Like he's the to me he's the uh 
like the the touchstone by he's he's a a point of law and order or or like throughout the rest of the series of game of thrones it seems like they're always striving whoever can be king to get back to a nice time like that robert baratheon time um so uh, it, he's like the, the the um what's the word i'm groping for here the 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 standard to aim for um and so if you are that standard it's got to be worth some mega points isn't it but then is that because he's so exceptionally good or because everything that comes afterwards is so exceptionally bad mm. so i guess like... if you were thinking about a really good ruler who's you know doing lots of good laws is bringing peace is bringing people together is doing great diplomacy who's doing stuff is maybe a really no, great ruler whereas mm. robert is just holding things together but he's doing it in a way that apart. he knows i will like <laughs> yes you will like. yes so you give him points for that um takeaway points for perhaps not doing all that stuff but i'm giving him points for not doing all that stuff and just having a nice time yeah so i'd uh, say he didn't spend enough time in the courtroom and you're saying he went to exactly the right place which is yeah. the house. and i'm saying he didn't spend enough time in the courtroom which is great yes. uh so wh- where does that leave us <laughs> Well, yeah, what score would you give them? I guess that Oh, 10. me? Yeah, you um, go. I think, uh, I think an eight. A big, solid one. Wow. I mean, I think if, you'd, if I, I, was, I was having to take points away because of what comes after, but he's very kingly, like you say, in that fight, they respect it. Um, he's a good warrior. He's a sort of... Um, the type of kinging I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Mega. I'd be thinking maybe like a six, six and a half, I think, would be where I'd be. Okay. Going. I think it's better than... It's better than... <clears throat> it's better... What I'm saying, it's good rather than bad overall. Like, in terms of, like, for us, sort of subjectivity, we call it, and mm-hmm. would you like to be a subject? And I think if you were a subject of Roberts at that point, it's all right. It's better than what's gone before where you had the Mad King. It's certainly better than what comes afterwards where you have this terrible war. It's not amazing because, as I said, I don't feel like he's doing enough. He could have done more. Mm-hmm. And particularly because he's got that authority and respect, you know, it could have been a golden age if he'd been so inclined and he mm-hmm. wasn't. So there's a missed potential, but I think it's ultimately decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. 14 and a half. That's pretty good. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, next, the warrior. So, he's going to probably score pretty well for this. Mm. Robert crushed Aegon the Conqueror's dynasty. Robert managed to do what Rhaenyra Targaryen could not do with, with dragons. Spoilers for House of the Dragon. Nor what Daemon Blackfire and Bittersteel could do with their own armies. Robert's greatness as a general and a commander led him to obliterate the greatest dynasty in the history of Westeros. 
As an individual warrior, he defeated the celebrated warrior scholar Rhaegar Targaryen in single combat. Yeah, that's cool. As a warrior, Robert was one of the greatest in the history of Westeros, and certainly the great warriors, the Baratheons. He was at one point dubbed the Second Laughing Storm after his grandfather, Lord Lionel. And Robert and his forces crushed the Greyjoy Rebellion. So, all my notes for that. Mm. He just has one defeat or semi-defeat, doesn't he? Yeah. That you mentioned. That's the only slight blot in his copybook, but it's not really a significant it, one. Yeah, it was just a little skirmish, wasn't it? Essentially. Well, but he had I mean, to hide. Is... He had to hide, and Ned had to save him. So. Mm. Yeah. That's good to survive. It's good to survive. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think if it were, I think he would probably dine out on that. Do you think yeah. like he he would? Th- it wouldn't be a defeat to him. If you're like part of a larger battle, and he'd be like, oh, and then. Because he's already successful at this point, I reckon that that would have played to him like a a fun anecdote. Oh, and then I hid wherever he hid in a barn, and Ned came along and rescued me, and it'd be all it'd be banter. It wouldn't be loss. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like Charles II escaping from Cromwell. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can't think that you could give him anything less than. Full points, could you? Because he, I mean, it's like a uh, William the Conqueror scenario. Mm. And the fact that he, because like one of the frustrating things with um, Battle of Bosworth is that uh, Richard the <laughs> Third at one point charges at Henry Tudor and gets mm. very close to him. And that we, I think we said in the episode, we said others, that's what you want to see. You want yeah. your two <laughs> leaders actually not just fighting rather than being on the hill commanding, but actually fighting each other. That's mm-hmm. the great Hollywood moment that you want. And you don't quite get that usually in actual history. So mm-hmm. having that moment of Robert and Rhaegar fighting and the fact that Robert comes out on top. Yeah. And as he... well as the fact that he wins the war and takes the throne by force and puts down the rebellion and all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff. But yeah, I think I would agree with that. This is full marks for me. And smashing all those, um, all the Legends. pearls off his um, necklace, whatever it was. Really good. <laughs> yeah. It's a great image. Rhaegar's rubies, as they're called. Rubies, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, next, though, we got to get into the ugly side, the fun category of the scandal of Madness and Misrule. And so what you touched on earlier, Graham, is, is 100%, I think, what George R. R. Martin wants you and everyone else to think, <laughs> is that he's very openly said of that of that he loves Tolkien, he worships Tolkien, but one, something that he kind of thought immediately about Tolkien is that, is that, and then Aragorn became king and ruled wisely for 500 years, or whatever <laughs> it is, and, and just... George R. R. Martin has the boring but interesting idea of, well, what were Aragorn's tax policies? What was Aragorn like as king? Of just, we assume, you know, you're a good guy, therefore you're going to be a good king. 
and Robert and Ned Stark are explorations of how what happens when how that doesn't always happen that a decent guy a decent promising guy may not actually be a good king so during his reign as king he ended up bankrupting the crown with all of his extravagant spending on tourneys though the iron bank was willing to accept the debts as the westerosi economy boomed the iron bank only abandoned supporting house baratheon during the regency of Tommen Baratheon due to the misappropriation of funds by Cersei Lannister. So the crown went into debt mm. under Robert's That's not rule. unusual, eh? <laughs> <laughs> You tell Henry me. You guys talk about these real kings. Mm. Henry VIII? Oh, yeah. Just, Robert just needed to uh, find some monasteries to uh, dissolve. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he somehow managed to bank get rid of all that money too. Yeah, well. <laughs> he vigi- Robert vigilantly tried to wipe out the remaining Targaryens and ordered Daenerys Targaryen's death when he he knew she was pregnant. Though he did come to regret this. This action emboldened Daenerys' resolve and convinced her husband Khal Drogo to seek to conquer Westeros. Robert's actions escalated a mild threat into a major threat. His failure as a husband and father led to his wife murdering him and his son being a monster. He was only able to maintain a fragile alliance in the Seven Kingdoms. When he died, war soon quickly followed that eclipsed his rebellion. That's not so good. <laughs> so? Mm. With Joffrey, though, because Tommen's quite nice, though, isn't he? Well, it's a bit rubbish, isn't he? <laughs> it's a bit like Henry VI, of just, just kind mm. of being this nice nothing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely some, uh, definitely some negative points for, uh, for Robert there. Um, yeah, I think I'm sort of coming down in terms of the the legacy bit. I think I'm coming down on not blaming him so much because because mm. um, actually because there are a lot of again looking at sort of history, there are a lot of very powerful kings where it's not even that they necessarily don't set things up well. It's almost that they're such it's such a hard thing to follow, or just that the absence of that great authority creates. Mm. Uh, a vacuum and chaos and there's almost there's almost nothing you can do about it unless you're fortunate enough to be followed by you know like a i don't know a 40 year old son that's been fighting alongside mm. you and there's this great figure at call that everyone already is just waiting to be king afterwards unless you have that scenario it's often quite difficult like we found with x factor it's quite rare that you follow one great king with another great king it mm. seems to do this sort of thing mm-hmm. so i don't know if i blame him so much for that for what comes after i mean for robert i think there's only so much you can do that's the historical perspective i'd love to hear something like that because <laughs> i think the only time in english history really where you have this sort of just good 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 is really right at the start when you have alfred the great 
his son Edward the Elder, and then his son Athelstan. And that's when the nation is formed with the early Saxon kings. And that's three all in a row who are very successful. Otherwise, you know, you Edward the First, you know, don't tell Ali, but pretty successful. <laughs> Edward the Second, not very successful. Mm. Edward the Third, very successful. And then Richard the yeah. Second, not very successful. It often seems to sort of go up and down. It can be quite hard to have that steady. Yeah, completely. Like the Georges. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um is this is this like our scandal one where we're kind of looking where the, a good score means what am I trying to say it's bad good here or would we be marking him down for the bad so like if he gets a 10 does that mean he's got loads of bad stuff or no bad stuff 10 means loads of bad stuff okay and this is all just for fun so there's no <laughs> negative points it's just just points uh, I mean, he's got you know he's got all of his uh, his womanizing and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's quite fun. But I don't know yeah, is that, that is that a major problem at the time or is that just what you'd expect of a? Oh yeah, is is I'm trying to squeeze it into our scandal sort of section. Um, but we always think of scandal as good, don't we? Or do we? <laughs> I do. Not sure that I also judge him too harshly for the Targaryen. I mean, it's not it's not what I do if I was king to seek out all Targaryens and murder them. But again, that seems like something that a lot of kings would do in that place. If you've usurped a dynasty mm. and they've got claimants spread around the place who, at some point, are going to come and probably try and take your throne, you probably quite a lot of kings would try and bump them yeah, off. Yeah. something where they're doing the scottish series our second series in scotland that we discovered that ali just became incredibly bloodthirsty and ruthless well they were hopeless because they weren't bloodthirsty it gave them so much trouble it's quite bloodthirsty in scotland it was like every other monarch was killed yeah wipe them out mate (laughs) i I suppose i don't know the the um and I'm trying to, I guess in terms of scoring, I don't maybe have the uh, the comparison with his predecessors as to whether he's yeah. fairly standard or if it's an unusual. Well, uh, I've detailed Matt, the Mad King, and I've alluded to Aegon the Fourth, who, okay, the the short story for him was that he he's basically Henry the Eighth, of that he had nine mistresses, he had loads and loads of bastards, and he named. And his will, he na- legitimized all of his bastards as as legitimate, and mm-hmm. that ended up creating basically a rival royal family that went to war with Westeros a hundred years. <laughs> so a hundred years of civil war from from having a bunch of bastards and legitimizing them. Mm-hmm. That got a ten from us, and you also heard yeah. about the Mad King, and so perspective. Yeah, yeah. Of like that is just like that is like truly like scary scary of like whoa you are insane and you are mm. bad and that's good though <laughs> it's good for points for for madness and misrule yeah. yeah yeah so i'm not sure i'd score him so highly then i mean like there's some fun there's some fun bad stuff but 
on that sort of scale, he doesn't really compete. You know, he's not, I don't think his misrule has caused the problems that come afterwards. I think that's just bad luck. Whereas if he'd named all of his bastards as legitimate heirs and they'd all raised armies and were fighting each other, then I think I'd be blaming Robert. Mm. So I don't know, it seems a bit... Not even bankrupting the crown? Well, I mean, again, maybe it's just because of the Henry VIII thing, but again, I kind of feel like that's what I almost expect (laughs) half the kings to do. (laughs) Like, half of them are going to bankrupt the kingdom, a few of them are going to be penny pinchers, and then a few of them are going to go and find someone to conquer, or, as I said, a church to dissolve, and make you rich again for a short period of time before it all mm. all blows again so like it's bad it's definitely bad is a bad thing to do but but it's, it's a, not yeah it's a bad thing to do but if you don't do it you in certainly in rex factor you tend to get uh you tend to not score well like henry the seventh because it just doesn't reflect well on the rest of this less interesting for the rest of the reign <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Six. Six? Okay. G-Man? Yeah, I was maybe... Maybe I'm thinking of... It's just, it's an interesting thing calling it something different, like the misrule, as opposed to... Yeah. I'd be, if it was scandal, I'd be thinking a slightly higher score. But then mm. the misrule, I'm thinking, well, it's not so bad. Mm. But, Yeah. Yeah, probably a six, probably is fair. Okay, you guys were much nicer than <laughs> we were. We took him to task because it's just like, I'm just turning the Targaryen thread into a bigger thread. That's when we were like, eh, that's not good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if if he'd killed Daenerys, then... Love it, yeah. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the lighter category. Um, This one is only on five points scale. I'm just going to send a bunch of Fan art portraits of Robert. We're not going to judge the actor and how much he measures up as a king. Just Okay. All right. Oh, sorry. I'm just, okay. just playing around with all this stuff. Okay. All right. I'm just going to use the magic of computers. All right. So this first one comes from a song of ice and... A song of ice and... Uh, no, the world of ice and fire. It's his big official portrait. It's in the chat right now. Well, I can't. Uh... Uh, where is it? Oh, I sent it to Alien. Oh, I saw a message come up, but it's not. Yeah. In, uh... Oh, you have to press the chat button, do you? Yeah. Chat button. Okay. No, it's it? not. Um, no. I can't see it there. I got a notification. But it's not in the chat. Yeah, let me try again. No. Wonderful technical difficulties. <laughs> Cannot be doubled. Cannot be doubled. What the hell? <laughs> okay, you could see that one though. All right. Yeah. Are you going to try again? All right. Bear with me. Sorry. Oh, 
The one part that this always happens when I get to this part of the show. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, first one I picked is this is handsome Robert at his wedding. Robert is most gorgeous, and right when he marries Cersei. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's kingy. Bear of a man. Isn't he? Uh, we also got this from World of Ice and Fire of just what he also looks like. That's more like it. <laughs> so, young and old, of just that, you can see both what made him one of the reasons why just they flocked to him at first and Body. I think he looks good this in the second one as well. So sort of I like that. So on a five point scale, what do, what do you guys think? Of five. I mean yeah, I think we, he looks great. <laughs> we we don't want to put too much emphasis on looks because you can't control how you look. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's kingy, isn't it? It's like a typical I mean, look at that horse. Mm-hmm. That's mega. I know we're not raising the horse, but <laughs> he looks good upon it. Well, and and he's uh, got a lovely big. I was going to say axe. Is that what they call it? What is that? It's a war hammer. Hammer type war thing. Hammer. Oh yeah, hammer. Yeah, hammer and a horse is pretty cool. Mm. It's five for me. Okay. I don't know if I'd go all the way up to a five. I think he looks pretty. He looks impressive, but like if you said to me. He's like the captain of, you know, the like he's the other head of the, well not the King's Guard because they have the fancy uniform. But you know, if, if you were mm-hmm. saying, oh, he's the sort of big army chapel, he's the heavy that's mm-hmm. going to come in and sort stuff out for the king. I'd mm-hmm. believe that. I wouldn't say, oh, no way, this man oh, yeah, must true. be king. Yeah, I'd be like, true. yes, he does look like he's on the door, <laughs> stopping <laughs> ruffians with yeah. trainers coming in. Yeah. So I think he looks cool and he looks impressive. I don't know if he looks as kingy. How would he look more kingy? He'd need to be sort of more uh, wise. He's definitely hard. Like it looks like clothing wise, it looks like he's either dressing as a warrior or as a lounge lizard. <laughs> but not quite. <laughs> Not quite magnificent. Mm. He looks pretty good, though. I still think. I mean, if you if you were to be given the that hand in a card game, you'd go, "I'll stay." Yeah. It's pretty, you know, pretty I'll good. Use this one. Mm. Uh, yeah, maybe this. Mm. What's the what's it what's it category called again? What's the just, just portrait. Just portrait. Just does he just, look good? And d- does he look like a king? The king question. Does he look like a king? Is it someone you would would inspire the majesty of a king, or just like, okay, I'd I'd, I'd follow his orders, follow mm-hmm. your orders, I'd follow you. Versus some people like, oh, you look nice, but I don't think you look like a king. Is is what you're saying? And the whole being being more of 
of like muscle versus being a king. That's kind of mm-hmm. spot on for sometimes we, we point that out of like, okay, well, you look like I'd follow you, but I wouldn't like you. Wouldn't... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I'm thinking maybe three and a half because I'm thinking like I would definitely follow his commands. <laughs> like if he told me yeah. to do something, I'd definitely yeah. do it. And he definitely stands out. He's definitely got, you know, a certain presence and mm. commands the room, uh, but not quite regal enough for me. Yeah, there is. A, you're that right. High score. Maybe a three, dropping, actually. Maybe a three. I want more regality. I'm dropping down to a four because Graham's persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so seven. So overall, that gives him a score of 68.5. We gave him 70.5. So we're you're pretty oh, close. Yeah. Yeah, pretty nice. close. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the final question, the big showstopper. It's not the title of our show, though. But <laughs> is he a stag or a Bambi? Is he someone that would be remembered and let a big impact on history? Or is he ultimately a footnote? I mean, it's clear to me he's a stag isn't he and it's interesting how much of that is because of what certainly all the stuff he does up to becoming king is stag you know this mm-hmm. conquers uh, seven kingdoms over you know by conquest defeats is prince Rhaegar in battle kills him in battle takes the throne this incredible rebellion and stories so that's that's going to be remembered mm-hmm. and his actual reign maybe isn't but for the fact that what comes afterwards is so incredible that you're always going to remember him because of mm-hmm. what happened immediately afterwards so i think the combination of his rebellion and then everything that happens after he dies yeah he's definitely getting remembered Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty much said verbatim almost what you said on, on our episode on him of just like that it's it's mostly like his own like rebellion that i feel that that like clinches him of being memorable because just as king it's a bit more just kind of like eh, he just was king yeah. did a decent job not great but not terrible but but you can't ignore the fact that he does all that rebellion and he actually succeeded where all these other people tried and failed yeah exactly so well that was so much fun thank you so much for coming on this has been great this is oh, thank you for having us yeah talk. thanks for having us this is also perfect timing because I, I literally was just about to say I think my kids are stirring this is about <laughs> the time when I normally then re-wake up and have to put them back to sleep um but that's my error because I was late coming on. But it um, it's really nice to delve into a new, whole new sort of fish tank of kings and queens fish. <laughs> oh, um, before you guys leave, I, I want to end with, with some quick quick questions. I, I tailored them for you guys. So mm-hmm. Rex Factor quick questions. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I don't want to make people hate you for some of the answers, but I, I want to ask <laughs> these questions. Okay, so. Easy. Matilda or Stephen? Matilda. Matilda. Richard II or Henry IV? Henry IV. Don't know which they are. <laughs> Henry VI or Edward IV? Edward IV. Edward's the cool said. warrior. Henry VI is the quiet, mad one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. Not the quiet, mad one. <laughs> All right. This one is going to be is, is controversial, but I'm going to ask. 
Richard the Third or Henry the Seventh? Henry the Seventh. Yeah. Henry the Seventh. What did I say first time round, Graham? Well, I, mean, I don't no, think you've been asked that. this question first time round. <laughs> but which did I prefer? Like when we did the individual episodes. Well, I mean, you maybe would have pref- is. You might prefer Richard the Third in looking at him and thinking actually he's a better warrior and yeah. a much better ruler than everyone thinks uh, that he was. But you know, king for two years and then he's overthrown by this yeah, Welsh, the with a very poor yeah, claim yeah. to the throne, which obviously is Henry the Seventh. So I'm kind of <laughs> damning him with faint praise there. But uh, Richard might have had more capability, but Henry is a more successful king. Okay. Yeah. Him. That was okay. a less quick response. <laughs> it's fine. No. Uh, Cromwell or Charles I? Ooh. Oh, man, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> Charles I. Although I didn't like him. No. I didn't like Cromwell either. No. All right, then. Fair enough. I've had questions that that kind of answer also. Favorite of Henry VIII's queens... I always do different ones for this. I'm not sure I've got a strong opinion on any of them, but... <laughs> that's, that's good for when we get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot oh. that's our thing. Um, <laughs> I uh, I did like the one with the six fingers. What's the his second one? Anne Boleyn. I think she's sort of is quite. She um, she brings more to the table to have an opinion on than many of the others. I'd say <laughs> Catherine of Aragon as a queen, but mm. I'd probably most like to talk to Catherine Parr. I think she was the nice, the nicer one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Best King Henry. Second. Second. Best King George. Fourth. Was that the one I liked, Graham, the other day? That's the Prince Regent. Oh, no. Uh, third. Uh, oh, well, you see, if you listen to our uh, recently done Americans uh, Revolution and George III special, you'll find that he's been misunderstood in many ways. <laughs> uh, I'd uh, George V. Okay. Which one's he? Um, he is First World War and into war years. Didn't like turnups on trousers. Yeah, <laughs> I did like him, but I do like George. I, mean, I do IV. like George the Fourth actually. The Regency period is brilliant, but mm-hmm. you know he's not a good king. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I kind of know what you're going to answer, but I just got to ask: best King Edward? First. Oh, Edward the Third, obviously. I don't think anyone's. Gonna... Are you serious? Well, I mean, the problem is that Edward the Fourth, it just doesn't go as well as you think it's going to go. So yeah, you know, it sets up to be amazing, but it, I mean, you know. No, the first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, best <laughs> king to talk about. Henry the Yeah. It's just yeah, so much with Henry. No, Charles II. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, Henry Long VIII is still. 
got so many mistresses. <laughs> Worst king to talk about. Victoria. <laughs> okay. All right. The fatal sin of all, though. Was any king or queen boring? Victoria. <laughs> Ooh. And Henry Ali got, Ali got bored of Victoria. I think five episodes in, Ali had had enough. <laughs> oh, but she didn't do herself any favours. <laughs> sitting around, sitting. Because she wrote so much. Oh. All her diary entries. There are. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, one that jumps out as being boring. I think that I think the nice thing about the podcast is that obviously we find a way to, to make them all interesting. That's great. Fantastic. Uh, but some of the Georges you wouldn't probably want to spend too much time with. <laughs> like George II, who had a mistress, but he only did it because it was what he was meant to do. So. <laughs> If he was early to visit her, he'd just walk up and down the corridor before going in because it wasn't the exact time that he visited his mistress. Which one was that? George II. That's good. That's not a fun man. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking, oh, he had a mistress. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful final note to go off of. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me, for, for coming on to my little podcast. I love your podcast. Check it out. Everyone who, all my few little listeners, come check out the, these guys' this amazing podcast. Thank you again and have a great one. Thanks, oh, thanks James. You too. You too. Cheerio. <laughs>